I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Get a Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. And welcome back to the Crash Couch. I am your host, Chris McGuffin. This is our August episode. With me today, I have Joel Welch. Joel, how are you? I'm doing great, Chris. I'm happy to be here. I really am. And our buddy Ian Tomlinson. Ian, how are you? I am also doing well, looking at Joel's amazing beard. He's going to catch <laughs> up to me pretty soon. Uh, it's, 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 he'll reign supreme. <laughs> I love my bird. I'm embracing my masculinity nowadays. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Joel, you don't have hair on top. But you have the hair on the on the on the beard, so that's good. Yeah, I'm going for the Viking yeah. approach, you know, uh, or the the Celtic warrior approach. All I need to do now is paint my my face uh, blue. It'd be great. So yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, we have a great episode of Crash Couch lined up for you this time. Um, we have a guest. Told you, I told you guys that we would have a guest um, on Twitter, and it happened. So uh, our guest this time is Narain Shankar. He is the showrunner, as he told me, uh, not showrunners, showrunner <laughs> for The Expanse. Um, most of you probably know who he is. He's been active on Twitter before uh, for live tweeting and whatnot. Talked a lot of great things, wouldn't you guys say? Oh, yeah. It was great. Great you? interview. Um, yeah, just so you know, super cool guy. Uh, just so you know, um, Ian is going to work his magic after the fact uh, for some um, potential audio issues, audio quality. We did have some uh, connection issues there for a brief time. So if you uh, have a little bit of hard, hard of hearing, uh, don't worry about it because we did the best we can. And Ian is going to be magical with it, right? <laughs> yes. Direct all complaints to at Ian the Beard on Twitter. Um, if you have any issues, you go, why aren't you better at audio engineering? <laughs> um, but yeah, so right now you're going to hear that uh, interview we recorded. And then afterwards, stick around because we're going to be talking about the season five renewal. Stay tuned. All right. I am delighted to have on the podcast, Narain Shankar, the showrunner of The Expanse, or one of the showrunners, I guess you could say, also on the writing team. Uh, Noreen, how are you? Oh, no, by the way, we can just say showrunner. There's only one. Oh, just one. <laughs> okay. That's, hey, you learn something new every day, right? <laughs> um, yes. Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing well, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So I, I've just, I've just got to ask, how exciting is it to already be renewed for a fifth season before the fourth season is even aired. It's pretty awesome. I mean, the you know, of course, now we're in that mode where we want to get season four in front of people right away, but that's going to mm -hmm. have to wait until December 13th. Um, but yeah, everybody is psyched. We've got the, you know, pretty much we've been able to get our entire crew back in Toronto. Everybody's gearing up and um, we're uh, ready to go. We're, we're already writing our first scripts and um, we are rocking and rolling. Was it a surprise for you at all? Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I wouldn't say surprise, but it, you're always grateful when it happens. I, I mean, I think we felt um, you know, at the end of season four um, that we were happy creatively where it went. We loved the partnership with Amazon. I, I, I feel like, you know, they would say the same um, uh, from their side of it as well. Um, and, you know, we had left at the end of season four it, just a, a great thrilling ending that kicks into the next uh, into books five and six um of the of the novel series and um I, I i would say probably honestly book five is like my favorite book of the, of, of the novel and um all of the pieces were kind of in place and so everybody was feeling very very positive but of course you sit there and you wait so oh my god when are they gonna say it? when are they gonna say it? when are they gonna say it so there's a lot of that going <laughs> on and um but yeah we got the word just after comic-con at um uh jen salky did it uh, made the announcement at tca um it was pretty great so everybody was was seriously pumped so there it is that's awesome man 
I'm 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 happy not only as a fan, but I'm just happy for all of all of you guys that are involved in the actual production because I know how seriously you guys take it and and how invested in it you are. So I was I was super pumped not only when the show was saved by Amazon, but that that season five renewal just ooh it felt really good. <laughs> it, it sure did, and also honestly, you know, it, it is a. You're saying how, how dedicated we are to it. Well, that goes back to the fan side of it because that whole campaign, you know, to get us back for season four was really a fan, you know, generated campaign. That that that's how it started. I mean, everybody participated, but but the fact that everybody kind of put their arms around the show and really embraced it, and and when you get that kind of feedback, you go, oh wow, maybe we are actually really making something good we're not just deluding ourselves and we're making something good so yeah it was great for them great for us and and uh, hopefully a lot more to come there's nine books <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and sir you are making something good i can tell you that right now okay <laughs> thank you, thank uh, you. Let me ask you this. How is Toronto as a filming location? You, you've been uh, filming there for the entire uh, run of the show, right? Yeah, uh, uh, Toronto's great. Um, yeah, it's actually the first time I've, I've shot there. I did a lot of work in Vancouver over the years and in Australia as, as well as in Los Angeles. But um, uh, yeah, it, it's a wonderful location. We got a great crew um, from the beginning. Um, the, uh, you know, it, it, this season four has been kind of interesting because it's the first season that we've done a substantial amount of location work. Up to that point, pretty much everything was on built sets and sound stages just because of the nature of what the show is. Um, so that was that was a new experience for us. Um, and uh, but yeah, I, I've, had a, I've had a great experience. So just briefly before we start getting into more like uh, expanse related questions, I want to talk just a little bit about you. Uh, what got you into just the television business in general? And then how did it relate to get into working with the Expanse guys? Um, I had a, you know, sort of a strange path in, I would say, is that um, I started as, a, as an art student at Cornell. And then a couple of years in, I, I mean, I, I was a very undecided, didn't know what I was going to do. It was like maybe French literature or medieval studies or you know, I had no idea. But I'd always loved science and math. And, and so a couple of years in, I decided to transfer into the College of Engineering. And I stayed there. And I stayed at Cornell through my, my PhD. But as I was writing my dissertation, I, I started taking more and more courses in history and literature just for fun. And so by the time I got out, I didn't want to be an engineer anymore. And so I had a couple of friends out in... Um, uh, who had gone out to Los Angeles, guys that, that I had worked, I were um, in a, a fraternity together as a literary society, and we've done a lot of this for writing for fun. And they had decided to strike out to go to Los Angeles to get into the movie business. And they said, you know, when, when I got out of school, uh, they said, come out to LA and be a writer. And I was like, sounds great. And I just kind of threw some stuff in my car and drove out. Um, and um, my buddy was, the guy who said that was Ron Moore, um, did that for the last year. He was best friend in college. And he had just started breaking into the business on Star Trek the Next Generation. And so, you know, you know, with, with, with somebody sort of inside that, I was able to get my foot in the door. And I got an internship through the Writers Guild of America. And that led to being a science consultant on Star Trek and an engineering background. And then I got to pitch some stories, and then I got to write some, and then that was, you know, it's like 1991. Um, so for a long time ago. But and yeah, and that was my that was my entry into the business. Nice, nice. How did that get to with be um, the guys with the expanse? Um, with the expanse, uh, it was. I had um, um, I had done initially, like let's say for the first ten years of my career, a, a lot of science fiction, almost exclusively science fiction. And at that time, science fiction was, I think, a little well, not I think, or a little. Uh, science fiction was really much more ghettoized than it is today. It was like considered its own thing, and it was sort of like not really mainstream television, and and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that. The prospects, if you were just focused on that side of the business, were quite limited. So I wanted to kind of move out. And so I got it. I, I started trying very hard to get into other genres. And I ended up doing talk shows and then CSI, which was, you know, I was there for eight years. And that was a gigantic, 
you know, worldwide hit show. And when I got done with it, it was, I had kind of had my fill of murder and autopsies and horror and trauma. And it, it can kind of wear you down a little bit, to be honest. And so I wanted to get back into something that I loved, which was genre. And, and so for the next few years, I started getting back into that side of things. Um, and um, yeah, I, I hadn't done a show of sci-fi since then. And my, um, I didn't really like the shows they had been making. So apart from Battlestar Galactica, which is for some reason they didn't want to, to do any more of, they were, it, was, it was just a weird selection of shows that was on their, their air. And I didn't think that they made shows you know, at the budget levels that made them look interesting. And, and so anyways, um, my agent sent me a script, this, the pilot for um, The Expanse, which was written by Mark Ferguson Hawkowski. And I and they said, hey, this project is set up uh, at the Sci-Fi Channel. I think, please take a look at it. And I literally saw Sci-Fi Channel and I hit the trash button. And I just sent the email to trash. And I didn't look at it. And so they, they, they came back a few weeks later and said it was written by um, you know, the guys who had written Children of Men, which is a movie I absolutely love. And I said, okay, let's take a look. And I read the script. I wasn't familiar with the books. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, this is this is a different kind of show for sci-fi. Are they really serious about making it? And they were. And I met with Alcon Television, um, uh, the head of the television side with Sharon Hall, who I'd worked with on other projects at that time, and met with the guys. And we really... You know, we, we really hit it off, and and um, and that was the beginning of it. That's how I came on board. Well, that's cool. I I didn't know any of that about about your experience with with sci-fi, like the channel itself. It's interesting that you sort of mentioned their the critiquing there, because I remember growing up being a fan of science fiction as well, and you know, we had, there were shows like Battlestar Galactica that showed the promise that the network could have. And then when uh, I had a couple friends tell me about the expanse that was becoming, well, at the time it was just the, um, it was just the book series. And then it, literally, as soon as they told me about it, it, it was announced that they were making into a TV show on sci-fi. So I was like, well, if this could either go one of two ways, it could either be really good like Battlestar Galactica or let's just say uh, mediocre, <laughs> like some of the other things that have been, um, have been on the network. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, The Expanse was, at least for them, uh, in the former category. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. it's interesting. And and by the way, no knock against the people at Sci-Fi because the guys who, who were really behind picking up the show, Bill McGoldrick and, and his team at Sci-Fi, they were great champions of it. And and I think that the problem was that Sci-Fi, for the... From, a decade under a, a previous regime, regime, more than a decade, actually, like 15 years, um, they had just kind of wandered away from what their core audience was. They were doing kind of comedies and light stuff and fantasy and then wrestling. It was just like the, the show, the, the channel had, you know, felt like it was always searching for an identity. And that was at a time when the, the industry itself was moving into genre and embracing it in a really big way. I mean, like, you know, you think about it, it's like, well, why wasn't, you know, The Walking Dead on sci-fi? Why wasn't, you know, like, why weren't they catering to the core audience and making shows of that nature? And, you know, I can't speak to, to the answer to that, but they weren't. And for some reason, they were also running away from Battlestar Galactica because if you mentioned that at sci-fi in that time period, like from, you know, like whatever, the mid, you know, the 2005-ish era or, or a little bit later, um, you know, to up to the expanse, it's like, it would have, it would have, they, they would have responded something like, "Yes, we're very proud of Battlestar Galactica. We're never going to do that again." And I'd be like, "Why the fuck not?" It's like, it's like, were there too many awards? It was, it was just, it was mystifying to me. But I, I don't know, I don't really understand it. why was Mr. Robot not on Sci-Fi? Why, you know what I mean? It's like you look at all these things and you go, "Wow, I just don't get it." Um, but um, the new gang, Bill and his team, there, they really wanted to make something different, and they were swinging for the fences. Um, and, uh, and I think the fact that, uh, the expanse was, was wholly produced by Alcon television. So it wasn't, you know, the guys at, at uh, NBC universal, which is the parent company of sci-fi because they didn't own the show. It, it was much harder for them to dictate the creative, um, uh, direction of the series. And so 
our studio was very much behind the way that we all wanted to make it. So, um, and I think that's part of it. Is that you, you, it, you know, there's a lot of fighting that goes on in these things, it's sort of creatively discriminating a direction. That's every show. Uh, and, um, and sometimes, you know, if you, you don't have a studio that's backing your creative direction and your creative vision of something, it gets extremely difficult. Um, and that luckily was not the case with us, is that the studio backed us. We told the show the way we wanted to. It was always designed much more for like an HBO style um, storytelling. And uh, and then after three seasons, they canceled us. <laughs> <laughs> Which, believe me, was rather <laughs> rather unfortunate for all of us. <laughs> I'm I'm honestly very sympathetic um, in many ways to to the conundrum they face because basic cable as a business is very problematic. They yeah. they re rely on advertising revenue to sell their shows, but they can't compete in terms of audience size on the mainstream broadcast shows, and they can't compete at the budget levels and the content, uh, the lack of content restrictions that you have on the premium cable side and the subscription side that's on streaming. And so they're caught right in the middle. And so The Expanse is not the kind of a show that, that is an easy fit for that. And so the fact compounded, compounding that fact is the, you know, the reality that they did not own the show. And so it just there were too many structural factors, I think, that made it... Um, impossible in the long run to sci-fi to do it but you know it has a happy ending because this was always a show that was built for streaming and yeah and um and so you know the joke was after you know when amazon picked it up it was like oh he died and went to heaven it was like <laughs> he found the right home um so <laughs> ian joel do you want to take a take a grab absolutely um Go ahead, Joel. Go for it. Yeah, you're the one who wrote most of the questions. I just no. got my one silly question. <laughs> Let's go with a silly question. That silly questions uh, okay. are important. It's not That's even starting a silly question. So I know, I know, book book five. You said your favorite, and uh, I'm halfway through it right now, and mm -hmm. it's kind of the story's all starting to line up because you know mm -hmm. you got all the little separate subplots and it's starting to line up, and I'm getting excited. Um, but my question is just, what is your favorite book? Period. You mean in the world? In the world, what what is wow. what is just a book you've read? And it's just it's like it's taking your heart. Wow, that's a that I may have to think about that one for a while. Um, that's really not an easy question to answer. It's a um, because I, I bounce around. It's like I, I go from I read a lot of history. I read a lot of military history. I read I read about you know the entertainment industry. I read a lot mm -hmm. about tech, I read a lot about technology. It's like I, I would say I read fewer novels um, than I used to when I was younger. Uh, yeah. So it's I, I have to think about that. That's a really interesting question. I'm not even sure I have an answer to it because that's fair. I don't really have an answer yeah. to it either. I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I, you know, there, there, there are definitely books that stick with you. Uh, I, I'll tell you a book I reread recently, um, just because I love it. It was um, The Guns of August, which is a, a, a history of the, the beginning of World War One. Um, and just beautifully written um, and just a fast, absolute fascinating story. So uh, actually, I read that book as well. Uh, I'm a, I have a history humanities background. I spend way too mm -hmm. much time at university. Uh, and uh, I understand. So did you? I did. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm going off the Wikipedia uh, entry. And I'm sure that's completely accurate. Uh, but do you have a PhD from Cornell in applied physics and electrical I do. engineering? That's right. And, and then you got an internship during season four of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, I, th I think that's right. Season four. Season yeah, season four, season five. I can't remember. So you went from having a doctorate in hard science to Hollywood. That must yes. have been a very, I don't know, unusual decision. Or like, like, what, what were you thinking at the time? Well, I, I you know, it, it's funny. Like, like I said, I, I started as an art student, and then I became an engineer, and and I was taking courses um, in grad school while I was while I was in doing my my doctoral research, and yeah, Cornell doesn't do doesn't do minors, but if I if it they don't grant minors, but if I if they did, I would. I would have had minors probably in history and mathematics. 
And so while I was doing my research, I was like, I was taking, I remember the moment, it's like I was taking this amazing course in the history of American foreign policy. It was like a year-long course by a great professor there named Walter Lefebvre. And we had this incredible lecture, and it was just it was about the early republic and Aaron Burr, and, and it came out of, the, out of the, the lecture hall. I was walking back to my lab, and I literally was walking back there and said, oh my God, I just can't be an engineer. I don't want to, it's like, because I felt like, the thing I loved about engineering, there are many things I loved about engineering, but it was also, I think, a very lonely profession in some ways because I felt mm. myself getting, I would describe it as I was becoming more and more of a, of a, of a master of a, of a smaller and smaller corner of the universe. Mm. And, and it was, and, and it felt very, I didn't like that. It was, it was a, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of time in my head, a lot of time in a laboratory, and it, it, I, I think there's some things about my own personality that make me um, like less patient than I should be. Uh, which, as a scientist, you're going to be methodical, and not necessarily the best way to be. Um, and so, I, I I just felt at that time that like I needed to I needed to ch to change what the direction of my life was going to be. And um, I had started college very young. I just turned 16. And I was like 25 when I got my PhD, and I had um, I had a couple of I felt like well let's give it a shot let's just go do something that would be fun, um, and uh, and so when Ron said come out and be a writer and I was like great that was, that was literally the decision making process it just it was not more thoughtful than that and probably that was to my benefit because. Um, had I thought about it, had I known sort of what the odds of success in the entertainment business had never been high for anyone, um, I might not have actually made the move. So, mm. Ignorance is strength, I guess. Particular <laughs> case. Do you find your your academic background helps you as a writer? Um, it it certainly has in certain in certain circumstances. I won a lot of you know arguments about science on CSI. It's like you know anybody else in the room has a PhD? Good. No. <laughs> um, now on the expanse, though, weirdly, um, Ty and Daniel are both like so smart. Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham, they're so smart, and they they've done so much research. Daniel, I would Ty is definitely more on the hard science side. Daniel is much more on the, the, the bio, biological side. That really is more of his field of expertise. Um, but those guys know a lot. Uh, uh, but I think even Ty would say this. is like we go about 50-50 when we argue. I think each, each one of us, we, we win as much as we lose. So, um, uh, but that's a, 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 you know, that this show and our writer's room, it is, it is, I'd say the most interesting combination of drama and science, because on CSI, the science was like, it was fascinating and the forensic was interesting, but it was mostly, you know, pedagogical because it was like we would show people how you do things. Um, on The Expanse, what, what I find interesting about it in terms of hard science and science fiction is, is we really embrace the idea of space as a character, as the environment as a character, and, and it is used to generate drama in an unusual way that most science fiction just simply ignores. And, and that gives the show a very unique visual style, um, a signature, I think, that, that's quite beautiful. Um, but it, it, um, it, it, it's, it's a unique identity, I think, uh, uh, in terms of science fiction and that I've seen up to this point. I like that you mentioned how space is the character, because you're right, they don't really use that a lot i feel like in modern sci-fi maybe in in you know when when sci-fi was first being propped around in like the i, I would say the mid 1900s um <laughs> <laughs> that was probably more of a, more of an idea or a concept but yeah that's that's something that i've never thought of but it's a great point because now i can just think about all of the times in the show where yeah space really has been it, it feels like more than just the place that they're at like it's it's the environment and it's also just it's 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 as important to the show as a concept and as an idea than just or than everyone else yeah i mean it's you know it is a we talked about this i think you know even on the very first meeting that i had on the expanse was that's what i found interesting like you know you can probably go back to 
2001, which was made in 1968, right? And that movie got like pretty much everything right about science fiction. And there's just so much bad science in it. It's like, you know, you don't, it's like, we would have to talk to people about like, you know, oh, if you, you know, if you, you open your helmet outside, like your head explodes. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's like, wow, it's like, you know, you freeze instantly when you go out of space. Like, no, you stay warm for like about 4 billion years. It's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like all of these things. But, but what, what has become really kind of joyful about this show is, is we use like, like ideas that people run away from the, the fact that you have, you know, when you're not under thrust, you don't have gravity when you, when you, I mean, when you don't have, you don't have weight. Um, all of these things that, that people just kind of like hand wave off with gravity plating and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, you use it to generate interesting situations, the way the ships move in battle, the way, um, you know, you just go on and on and seen the show. Um, it's a it's a hugely interesting thing, and it, it gives us, I think, a very unique calling card um, compared to pretty much anything else out there. Yeah, I quite enjoy the science yeah. of the Expanse. My questions is, uh, what happens when in the show The Expanse you get the science wrong, and someone calls you out on it? How do how do you react to that? Uh, we try really hard to get the science right. Um, the you know we did a sequence in season two. Um, where Alex, uh, the pilot is like, he's, he's trying to get, uh, to, he's in one of the moons of Jupiter and he's trying to get, um, from one of these moons to Ganymede. And he kind of does this like slingshotting course where he kind of just does an unpowered slingshot down to Ganymede. And we had, you know, we had talked about it. It kind of, it, it, ultimately what happened is for a lot of reasons, the sequence itself is very kind of inaccurate. It just doesn't, it wouldn't really work. It would take like, you know, weeks and we did it in a, in a matter of, it feels like minutes. It just, and, and it's a little, I think it's a little fanciful and, and, um, and I, and I didn't, I didn't love the way it turned out. And so I, 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 I rarely get on social media and, um, but I did do a blog for, uh, Kyan Daniels novel website the James S. A. Corey site about talking about why why we, we went this direction and why we you know why it ended up the way it did. But I also said, look, the next time we do it, we're gonna get it right. And then we did another slingshotting sequence in season three that I think is way better. Um so you know we really do strive to, to try to get things correct. I mean I think we compress uh time of travel quite a bit um for dramatic purposes. But, you know, the reality is that if, if, you know, planets are aligning in the right ways, things are surprisingly fast if you have something like the Epstein drive. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we, we do try to keep it as real as we possibly can. So when it, when it comes to, be it, you know, writing or um, just, you know, your, your daily life of, of what you do on a daily basis, your routine, what kind of things motivate you personally? Um, you mean in, in regard to the show or just in general? Just just in general? You know, I, I, I feel like I'm very, very lucky. Um, it, this is a very fun business to be in. It's a it's a really unique combination of a purely creative, technical, managerial. Um, running a show is like is being like a CEO of a small startup. Like, you know, you have about 150 people working for you. Um, and everybody's really, really focused. The hours are long. It's, it's intense. There's a lot of pressure. Um, but at the end of the day, what you're getting paid to make stories and put them on screen and bring them to life. And if you have the right mentality for it, it, it's an extremely fun job. I mean, I feel, I feel really very fortunate that I ended up in this business because I think just my own personal background, I've always been a sort of, a more of a generalist, I guess, than a specialist at heart, and, and maybe a little right brain, left brain, and and this particular job, it, a, that's kind of the way you have to be. Um, so maybe I fell into the right thing. Yeah, that's fair, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's good though that like I, I I like when somebody on a show is as dedicated to making it feel right 
as everyone else is because like I can imagine and you've probably worked you worked on so many things at this point that you've probably experienced this where maybe somebody or maybe a team isn't as into it as everyone else but that's the beauty of the expanse is that everyone from the writing team to the visual effects to the the cast especially they're just so dedicated to making the show the best they can well it is it is true i mean and and sometimes like things that we really try hard to do like get lost on others who do not think they're as cool as we do because there was a bit where we, we we actually wrote it into a script it didn't actually make the cut because the director he didn't get it or like it or care and so <laughs> at the end of the day it didn't it just didn't land in the, the episode but what it was was we were the rossi was coming back into tycho station and when it docked at tycho we had we had the beat in the script where there was um uh, a relativistic time uh, delay clock resynchronization. It was like to account for for time dilation effect relativistically between the Rossi traveling back to Tycho and so just resynchronizing your clocks. And and we actually had we built the screen and everything, and the director just was like, "This is bullshit." <laughs> <laughs> and, and it, was, it, was like, it was like the smallest of moments that uh, and ty and daniel and i thought it was really awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he didn't have time for it right <laughs> it, just, it just he didn't shoot it in the way and it was just like that was not the hill to die on in this particular episode it was just but it was there is a level of detail um and, and thought that does go into these things and and, and there is a tremendous amount of um, of attention to detail in all of the departments. Um, and we have stressed that. Uh, and, we, and every year we just try to make it a little bit better if we can. Yeah. yeah. Out of curiosity, is is that kind of thing going to come into play more in season four? Is where we're getting these new worlds that don't have a 24-hour cycle. Um, so is, um, is there any kind of... Yeah. It's... Um, well, I mean, if you've read book four... Um, you know, the, the, the story is the Rossi goes to one of the alien worlds um, through the ring. And there are definitely some elements about it, but we don't, we don't really put specifics on it because it's, uh, it, it is kind of its own thing with the Rossi once you're, they're on the other side of it. So it doesn't right. really come into play. Um, you know, there, there are, you know, if you listen very closely, there's some stuff about like, you know, uh, the Martian day being not quite the same as, as an Earth day. And so there's, there's little, little bits of touches here and there. Speaking about the new world and season four, <laughs> you know, my understanding by watching the trailer, and it's an amazing trailer, by the way, is that oh, uh, it's, you know, we quite like it, at least part of the community, right? Fan community. <laughs> but it, it's a frontier experience. It's kind of mixing between the science fiction genre and the Western genre. And we've seen this a lot in science fiction pro uh, properties. How are you making the, this, the new season, this new setting feel so much, make it feel fresh? Well, I mean, you know, uh, fresh in the context of the expanse is easy because we haven't really spent this much time on a planet before, right? So I think just being outside in weather, uh, <clears throat> you know, that, that, was a, that was a huge difference for us. I mean, from a filmmaking standpoint we we chose to shoot the um all of the stuff on illus uh in anamorphic which is uh two three nine to one it's a very wide aspect ratio so every time you're on the planet it actually just kind of opens up and so the, it feels like the vista is is much larger and so when and it just kind of you you watch the show it just kind of seamlessly shifts back and forth between 16 by 9 and, and um and so it's um um, that that's really sort of uh, how we how we played into that concept, you know. Uh, the Western and science fiction tends to get overused, and so if you hit it too hard, it gets kind of it can get kind of silly really quick. Um, so you know, I think that that's always a caution when you tell these kinds of stories. Um, so because you don't have to work too hard to get those those themes and those ideas. Uh, and hopefully you like where we ended up with it. But, um, but we were we were pretty happy. Excellent. Cool. When you have to write for, be it the show, what is something that, 
like is there anything that you just absolutely hate to have to deal with you you just dread having to like man i can't believe i have to like tackle this subject or, or this <laughs> process today um you know i not me i mean there's there's always stuff that's harder or easier but i find the entire process very stimulating the thing i like the most i would say though is being in a room with the writing staff and and breaking the season and breaking the story i find that to be from a purely creative standpoint one of the most fun times as you're just kind of laying out how a show is going to be over the course of the over the season um, and, and just kind of watching it take shape. Um, it, it's it's a hugely important part of the season because that's where you're really building the foundation of everything. And if that plan is good, then your show's going to be good, and the season's going to be better. And and so far we've been we've been able to do that every year. So the season plans have have held up very very well. Um, and you know it's not like we're suddenly, you know changing our mind about what story to tell mid-season or, or throwing things out and trying to do something else because the plan wasn't good to begin with. <clears throat> In a story like this, um, you know, the books are, we, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just saying, but <clears throat> this is what I'm trying to say. The books have a very strong thought framework. The great thing about having the authors of the book in the room is we don't break that. Is that that they are meticulous potters? The things they do, they do for a reason. And while we have changed chronologies, while we've combined characters, while we often get, you know, from one point to another by a slightly different path, we ultimately get back to where we were supposed to be. Um, there are some things that just are different because it's different telling a television series with regular characters and this is telling them writing a novel where it's much easier to change perspective and get interior monologues on characters and do a lot of things that you can do in a book you can't do in a show. But at the end of the day, we come back to where those things are. And, um, and so we stay very true to the spirit of the books. And people who've read the books and watched the show, they, they feel that. So even though they're each their own individual thing, they are deeply kindred spirits. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely see that. Um, when it comes to trying to combine the books, or not combine the books, but combine the different stories and the different characters in the books, um, was it difficult at all to, you know, figure out how exactly you're going to do that, or or did it seem to sort of just flow naturally as you were making the story? Um. I love doing adaptations, um, and I think that what's been really fun about this process is um, is how we've adapted the novels. Because there's this moment in in season one, we were talking about the character of Fred Johnson, and I go, I don't get this guy. Who is this guy? It's like he's like he's sort of like he's like kind of. He was an Earth guy, but now he works for the Bellas. I don't get him. And then Ty and Daniel go into this long story about like who this guy is. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? This isn't in the book. And he goes, oh, no, no, we wrote a novella. It's called The Butcher of Anderson Station. It talks all about this. And I'm going, they're novellas? And, and they go, yeah, we did, we did a bunch of them. And so I read it and I go, this is great. And I go, let's, <clears throat> let's build these into the series. And they said, well, they didn't option the novellas. And I go, and so I went to the studio and I said, you got to option these novellas because Unlike the books, I think, which are which tend to be more plot forward, the novellas are very much like one act character plays. And and they are so fascinating and so perfect for what television does well. And so the studio agreed to, to opt in the novellas. And so we have them now. And what we've done is we've built the not the novellas into the larger body of the series. And so I think it's made a very rich experience out of it because We've done the story of the Butcher of Anderson Station. We've done Drive, which is the Solomon Epstein story. Um, you know, it, it, which was like, how do we do that? It's like, well, there's ways to do these things if you really think about it. Um, <clears throat> we did the Vital Abyss. We did uh, this. You know, part of uh, season four is pulled from uh, Gods of Risk, and so like we, you know, all of these stories really inform the characters in the show and and deepen them. And so the series, the television series, is this combination of both of those things. 
And that's actually led to a really interesting and unique adaptation. Um, I think that uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's been incredibly interesting and fun. Awesome. I, I just, I, I know I, I say this a lot and I'm just, it's probably just me honestly geeking out a little bit right now. Uh-huh. Um, but it's just, it's so nice that, you know, it, it feels like there's uh, me and Joel uh, specifically here have been involved in a lot of different fandoms over the time that we've been doing podcasts together. And there are plenty of times when it just seems like either the fandom is bad or the production just has issues or there's some kind of like complaints within, um, you know, within the community for something, but it just, it feels like the expanse and just what you guys are doing is it feels like everything just works out in your favor. (laughs) Good. Let's let's hope it keeps doing that. That sounds great. (laughs) And talk about fan service. I do have a silly question to ask you, sir. Uh, if you could, if if you could cosplay any character from the expense, who would it be and why? Wow, I'm not a cosplay guy, but um, you know, hmm, just in terms of the sheer value of the costume, the Goliath armor is pretty cool. Uh, Bobby's Goliath armor is pretty cool. I've seen some of those. Um, I haven't seen like a good hybrid yet. You know, it's like a, the proto molecule hybrid is, it would probably be a fun one. Um, but that's that's a, a fair amount of work. Uh, Amos is is very basic. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, the Goliath armor is probably the one that's the it's sort of the classic. I mean, I, I I know there's there's plenty of examples of similar things in in, in the genre, but it's um, and if, you know what? I, actually, I saw at Comic Con this year. I did see a bunch of Millers. I love Which Miller. I yeah. was kind of charming. I mean, this is like it's um, you know the uh, the old noirish detective, um, but yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that, that's a nice easy cosplay to pull it, off. It, exactly, exactly. For you, know, it's a yeah. entry level gateway drug cosplay. So right, that's, that's, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. got my long coat, my fedora. <laughs> I am Miller. There you go. You you can't uh, forget the hair too, Ian. You gotta have the hair. Good oh, point. The, good point. The, I couldn't the, dedicate myself to that. I, I, the crazy. I, I like hair, my hair too much. <laughs> the crazy hair. So since the show has moved to Amazon from Sci-Fi, what's what's the production process been like? How has it changed at all? Um, you know, it hasn't changed a ton. Um, and um, you know, one of the things I did very early on is is um, I I always felt like the show's life was going to be on streaming. So regardless of how we did it on Sci-Fi, I. I don't like, you know, uh, commercial television is is kind of a drag in so many ways because you you know you tend to have this if you come out of certain certain schools or, or certain work experiences, some people tend to write towards act breaks and commercial breaks in in, in, a, in a fairly formulaic way. I was fortunate enough early in my career I did a, a show called The Outer Limits, which was on Showtime. Um, it was a, a revival of the 60s anthology series. And um, what was good about working on Showtime was that there are no commercial breaks. So when you wrote a script, you weren't really writing act breaks in traditional ways. It, it was like like writing a movie. Like you can't you can't end the scene in the middle of two guys holding guns on each other and then come back in another scene with the guy holding their, you know, me come back right after the commercial break and that moment has like it's been suspended over time. You have to actually write a scene to the end. And so from a very early time, I would always write like that. And so you never have cheesy act breaks that way or cheesy story breaks. Well, in season, you know, in season one of the expanse, um, we went to streaming and I would watch the show on streaming and they would do this thing where it was like, you know, where an act break was, where the commercial used to be, you'd kind of dip to black, and then you'd come back. Like, and watching, but this is bullshit. It's like, you don't watch this on HBO. And so, so, like, if you look at Game of Thrones, it just plays all the way through, right? It's like, well, it's actually a different experience when you watch something that way, because you're, you don't release the viewer from the moment when you, you, know, you drop it to black. A movie never does that. So I went back, and I had our, our post guys um, go back and fix and close all of those blacks in, in, in on the streaming side. So, and we did we we changed picture edits and music edits. And so, 
when you watch it on streaming, it's just a continuous thing. The show does not break. You don't have commercial breaks because that's not the best way to experience something. And going to Amazon, now we don't even have to worry about that. You don't have to write accuracy. This doesn't even become an issue. And so it's it's really great being on a platform where we can not have to worry about commercials. You, we're in HDR and 4K, which look amazing. We are playing with you know, mixing aspect ratios, which they would never really let you do on, on basic cable. Um, and, um, and in terms of that kind of freedom, no language restrictions, no real content restrictions. It's, it just allows you to make the show like an adult, I mean, a mature uh, science fiction yeah. show um, the way, you know, any drama is made. And, and that way it doesn't infantilize the genre, the product, it's it's so much better in so many ways. Yeah, we're yeah. finally gonna get the real Avasarella. <laughs> yes. Well, that was, that was another thing that we did on Sci-Fi. Is they said, "Well, you got to tone down the language," and I go, uh, "We're not toning it down. We're not changing the script. If you want to dub them, go ahead. I don't care or mute them because I just didn't want to have the show on streaming be, you know, neutered that way." Right. So. So we never did. And so on sci-fi, they would actually mute, like if she said fuck, she would go fuck, and then they would mute it. And so, yeah. just, but I didn't care because I was just like, okay, it's not the way I, I think anybody should watch it, but that's what you got to do on your go ahead. So yep. we, never, we never built it that way. One thing we talked about actually on the last episode of The Crash Couch, whenever um, we had seen the trailer for season four, was that the show does look a lot, <laughs> Like just like visually, it looks different. Like the tone, some of the color palettes, just it looks, you know, different than what we're used to. Um, and that's it's it's something that's definitely going to be fresh and and good. And um, it's it's nice to know that it wasn't just us seeing things. Like it's actually it actually happens. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I, I you know we take a lot of of care and pride, uh, um, you know, in in um, in the look of the show. Uh, I I love I love good cinema. Um, our our director of photography, uh, Jeremy Benning, is is wonderful. He he was the one who suggested the um, the anamorphic frames for for Illus in season four, um, and uh, you know it's um the, the the different color palettes for the different worlds and storylines. Um, you know that's something we've always had. Uh, you know, you, you want something, I, I think there's sometimes, you know, in television, people get very focused on, on dialogue and, and just, you know, and the scene, scene work, highly, highly important, but the beauty of it as well is critical. And, and I, I, I talked about in season one, um, one of our VFX vendors, I, I was like, I, I want these ships to move with beauty, right? It's like like zero G is beautiful movement. There's a reason that Kubrick, you know, scored the beginning of 2001 to, to Blue Danube, right? It, it's a waltz. It's a dance. It's like that. And so th there is beauty in the way these things move in zero G. There is there is gorgeousness in this environment. So we try to capture that. And and I, you know, one of the nice things about working on a show like CSI. Was, it was a high style, high like a fashion style kind of a look. And it was very, very arresting when it came out for the first time. I like those kinds of aggressive looks. We're, we're aggressive with the way we like the show, um, how dark things are, how, you know, the way we visualize the ships, um, space. And uh, it's just, uh, it's a hugely important part. And, you know, we always push right to the limit. Um, and, uh, yeah, to the frustration sometimes of our visual <laughs> effects vendors. I'm not easy on them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really all that I have personally for you. Um, Joel and Ian, do you have anything you want to want to ask before we head out? Uh, no questions from me. I just want to say thank you. You're very generous with your time, and it's much appreciated. Um, my pleasure, guys. Uh, thanks so much for, for watching and caring and uh, – I hope you really like season four. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty cool, and it's gonna drop all at once, which is gonna be brand new for us. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Oh, interesting. So they're not doing it episodically. 
Um, no, I mean, I, I kind of wish they were, but, um, you know, because that, that was a big part of, uh, I think how we initially connected with the fans because we, we t- live tweeted all the episodes out and I think it, it let us develop a fan community in a really interesting way. So yeah, we'll just have to figure out, maybe we'll do like a couple of, uh, maybe we'll do like an AMA or something or, you know, just get together or do something where we can kind of reach out and talk to people about stuff as it comes out. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to do schedule some kind of fan base wide watching yeah. schedule. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know I know the gang would love to do it. I mean, yeah. as well. So, um, but yeah, uh, it'll be fun. Although this season is probably one of the best seasons to watch it, like just in a straight binge because um, it just has that kind of uh, kind of a role to it. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is something that you would even know or would even be able to answer, but what is episode length like? Is it going to be like 45, 50 minutes? Um, I would say, yeah, around that. Uh, I can't, um, we don't have to worry. Oh, that's another good thing about not being on basic cable anymore is you don't have to worry about being in a 40, a strict 43 minute box. Right. right? It's like, and so, you know, there, there are episodes where I, I, you know, I, I asked if we could have, um, uh, if we could go over time wise and they never did, you know, they wouldn't let it happen. And, um, and that was unfortunate because then you jam things in and it, it's a little too rushed and moments can't breathe the way that they need to. Um, that's certainly not a problem now. Um, but it's in that, I, I think we're in that 43, maybe I think one of I think one episode pushes over 50 minutes, but it's in that, it's in that range. Cool. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. This was really fun uh, and happy to do it anytime. So uh, thanks for watching and we'll do it again. Yeah, thanks for sharing your time with us. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, take care. All right, thanks again to Narain for joining us for this episode of The Crash Couch. Really quick, I want to uh, get your guys' thoughts on the season five renewal because it's it's crazy to think that here we were – you know, whenever um, season three finished, we weren't sure if we were getting season four. Sci-fi canceled it. And then like a month later, Amazon picked it up for season season four. And then now here we are. Season four hasn't even aired yet. And we're already getting a fifth season. How awesome is that? It's so awesome. awesome. I can't believe uh, this. I saw someone say like, oh, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff uh, Bezos might have gotten the, the preview and loved it so much that he approved season five already. Yeah. I'm Somebody on. stoked. Somebody on Reddit said, this is what happens when you cancel a millionaire's favorite show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're not wrong. Yeah. Well, it just shows how invested uh, Amazon is in this uh, franchise or this uh, the show, The Expanse. It's, I can't believe it. It's great. And I'm, yeah. s- I'm super excited. Yeah. And I would say, too, that, I mean, it's a smart move on their part because Netflix right now has a lot of really good original sci-fi stuff. Yeah, um, that they're they're cranking out. So just from a competitive standpoint, um, I think it makes sense. I do think that Amazon is trying to become more involved with the whole, uh, like, not just original series, but trying to become more in the forefront of hey, like everyone says, oh hey, is it on Netflix? Like they, they I think they want to be in that conversation of hey, is it on Netflix or Amazon? You know. Right, right, yeah. And, I mean, Amazon's had a lot of really good original shows, um, like Man in the High Castle, super good. Yeah. Um, they have Jack Ryan. Yeah, Jack Ryan. Uh, that's a good point. I need to catch up on that. That was a really, really good show. Um, what do you guys think of – do you think this is a good sign for just television series in general, like when it comes to science fiction or, or what? Because personally, I think that – well, I'll just use what I have in as, as an example. One of my other favorite sci-fi shows is The Orville, uh, Seth MacFarlane's show. And it was on Fox for two seasons. While they're still producing it, it's going to be exclu- exclusively on Hulu for its third season. So I don't know what this says about sci-fi on TV. or Because we had The Expanse, which was really good got canceled now it's on streaming we have the orville didn't exactly get canceled it technically did get renewed but it's just moving to a streaming home like what does this say about just sci-fi on tv well i think Mm -hmm. to have uh, the the biggest canvas to actually flush out uh, science fiction ideas and have this epic shows i think streaming is the better platform by far because you don't have the same type of uh, commercial breaks 
you're not restricted by length of time. Where you know, an episode has to be 42 minutes. And plus, you can swear and curse and use all types of colorful language to bring your point yeah. across. So Yeah, and I mean, something I'm thinking about, too, is who's who's the fan base for science fiction? And what is their work schedule like? Like, how hard is it for people to who really love science fiction? It's totally generalizing. But to, like gather around at a specific time during the day to watch a show. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I, my hours are now more normal, but I watching almost any show live is impossible for me. Um, you know, and so I think that's a huge, a huge, uh, plus, you know, with, with, uh, the Oroville, I've never watched it live. I've only ever watched it on Hulu. So nothing changes for me. Um, and I think maybe that was a large reason why they moved the Orville to Hulu is because like everyone's watching it on Hulu anyways. Like, I don't know if that's true. I'm assuming it's a large reason why they're doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think, too, that it's just it just goes to show just the direction that we're heading in with TV. I mean, I have I'm like you, Ian. I watch pretty much all of the Orville on uh, Hulu, mainly because that is where I get my live TV from. I have the live right. live TV subscription, so I was able to you know do it on my DVR. If I couldn't watch it that night, then I would just watch it the next day. So it doesn't right. it doesn't hurt me at all. And then it'll still be airing. They're going to do something for international people, um, so they won't be left out in the cold. Got it. I didn't even think but, about that. Yeah, but yeah, it's going to be. I think it's it, it's good for things like because I mean I think sci-fi is it's a great genre but it does have its quirks and i think you can only you can only get so far with it on tv i mean i i think game of thrones was lucky to be on hbo because if it was on something like i mean you wouldn't be able to have all the the violence and the sex and the nudity and whatnot with you know on, on like amc for example but i think it would have been hampered had it been trying to adapt it in a in a lesser way for right. like cable TV. Yeah, I don't I don't think it would have worked at all on cable TV. But yeah, I hope that this is just not only a good sign for the expanse, but it's a good good sign for just sci-fi. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, I think that's all for this episode of the Crash Couch. It, it feels weird because we're recording the intro and the outro after the fact, so I feel like we just literally intro the episode and already doing the outro and like gonna have a five minute episode. But <laughs> uh, we won't. <laughs> we have we have a solid time. Um, before we do our own uh, Twitter accounts, I want to shout out to Laura and Ernie who could not be here this time, but we hope to have them back. Yes. Uh, at least before the before the start of the next season, uh, you can find Laura at Laura. She still has not <laughs> changed her Twitter account. Um, I don't know off the top of my head how many H's and A's are in the name, but it's on the Crash Couch Twitter. So you can yes. just find her find a link there. Uh, meanwhile, Ernie is at your buddy Ernie. I am on Twitter at the Curse of Chris. Joel, where are you? I'm on Twitter at Joel underscore welch w-e-l-c-h and ian ian the beard soon to, soon to be ian the subservient beard to joel's beard uh, thanks ian it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got some I will... years on you man so it's just it's more length you know <laughs> uh, as soon as you overtake me i will change my twitter title there you uh, go. I'll no longer beard audio. I will be, <laughs> I'll be Joel's servant. That's uh, all right. I, I serve uh, uh, everyone. I, I don't, I don't need any service. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Finally, be sure you're following us on Twitter at Crash Couch to get all of the latest info on updates and recordings and whatnot. Um, also, please continue to spread the word about the podcast because, believe it or not, there are people out there who are Expanse fans that don't know that an Expanse podcast exists. In fact, uh, let's see, who was it that tweeted? Let me find their thing. Um, I think the Expanse Lives Twitter account retweeted us earlier. And somebody replied and was like, wait, there's an Expanse podcast? And uh, immediately yeah. followed us. So, yeah, there's people out there that don't know we exist and don't know that we have, you know, pretty decent content every once in a while. <laughs> the content's so, consistently like a 7 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
but yeah, so pl- please be sure to keep spreading the word to all the screaming Firehawks out there. Leave us iTunes reviews or whatever Apple is calling iTunes nowadays. Um, Music. Yeah, just any kind of feedback. I don't care what it is. If it's positive, negative, just let me know. Uh, oh, I lied. Apple it's not Twitter. music. It's not music. iTunes, so there'll, there'll be music and podcasts. So it'll be the podcast app. Yeah, well, leave us reviews on the <laughs> podcast app, I guess. <laughs> oh, well. I need whatever. a drink. So generic. <laughs> Wherever you listen to podcasts and you can rate it, give yes. us five stars or exactly. else. All right. Well, that's all I have for us this time. Um, also, be sure to follow the Gonna Geek Network, too. Yes. Thanks again to them for uh, giving us a home. We appreciate it. They're good people. So. Yes. They are. All right. For that, with that being said, um, take care, y'all, and we'll see you next time. See you. Bye. Bye now.